Although America does not have any military personnel and official operations deployment actions going on at the present time, the physical and mental health effects of past wars to veterans continues with us and will be for the foreseeable future. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. In 2020, of the over 6,000 veterans who died via suicide, 154 were here in Colorado. And that is 154 way too many. The research reasons include untreated exposure to trauma, isolation, difficulty reintegrating back into society, to easy access and familiarity with guns. However, it is suspected there are also less stated and more personal reasons as well. Updating the actions and steps being taken to treat the challenge of veterans and suicide and to reach anyone contemplating such, we welcome to the program from the Regional VA Medical Center in Aurora, REACH Vet Coordinator, Mr. Benjamin Kramer. Now that we don't have uh, a lot of deployments going on, decreased deployments, because, you know, a lot of us felt that when you have to go back and forth and you're in that war zone and you're staying alive and then you get to come back here for a while, then you got to go back again. You know, in Vietnam, we only had one tour and that was it, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so that may have caused a lot more mental anguish. But now without those uh, without those deployments being there, are you finding the number of suicides or vets in crisis decreasing? Yeah, it, it is an interesting idea to connect um, tours of duty and um, that stability around coming back and forth uh, as a component of um, suicide and suicide data. I don't think that that um, can truly be sifted out. What I, what we do know though is, right, since we've been tracking this for about the last 20 years, it, you know, suicide rates have been st- steadily going up until about 2018, where they, for the last two years, have been optimistically trending downward. Did COVID-19 have anything to do with that too? Or I thought, Coke, you know, during that pandemic period, you, you may have a higher um, a higher level of isolation and may have increased, but you're saying it, it's going it's going south. Correct. Yep. So even right, obviously COVID came in right around March or April of 2020, and it was a big concern how this would affect everybody's mental health and potentially suicide. And at the moment, the data is showing that they, it did not dramatically increase suicide. And in fact, right, that 2020 year did see a reduction um, from the prior year and uh, the peak of 2018. How about women veterans? Are they having more challenges with suicide or depression, isolation, that kind of thing than uh, men are? Truly nailing down isolation as a, you know, as a metric is a little challenging, right? Because how do you know if someone's isolating? But I think there's enough circumstantial evidence around um, what we know about men and women, where men typically, you know, have less friendships or choose not to utilize certain supports. And by those metrics, I think women typically do um, have a have a higher level of connectivity to other people, and that connectivity certainly does reduce isolation. And isolation is certainly a risk factor for um, attempting suicide. We're always kidding women all the time about talking all the time and being around their friends all the time. But when it comes to mental health and preventing social isolation, that is the that is the lesson we guys need to learn from them. 
Absolutely. Yes, they have it down. <laughs> yeah, they have it down. Have you been opening or at least uh, attempting new approaches to mental health uh, a treatment for guys that are uh, that have been subject to PTSD and the other things that uh, y- you receive coming out of war zones? I think when it comes to PTSD and all of the mental health diagnoses, I think that we, we do focus on improvements with evidence-based treatment models, right? Uh-huh. So as an example, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy as one. Um, and I think the key thing is not necessarily, you know, pointing to one year or, or another where some magic treatment has maybe, you know, come come about. But I think it's more about just accessing those treatments and being able to yeah, tap into what we know works instead of, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel or coming up with something new. The reason why I ask that is that, you know, in other areas of medicine, uh, they're coming up with new therapies, new directions, new medications and that kind of thing. In the area of mental health and support, we're doing the same thing there. But I know the VA will have to at least test them out to see how they would perform before introducing them. Correct. Yep. Just like, you know, just like anything, you can probably break it up into the medication management component of mental health, uh-huh. which, of course, involves drug companies and, you know, bl- blind studies. Right. And they, that's a very, very long process. And then in terms of the therapeutic bucket, there is, you know, we have a long history of mental health treatment, um, you know, in the mental health field. And I think that we do get better and better at really tweaking what we know. So you might have, right, CBT as the example I mentioned earlier, and maybe we start exploring more deeply how that could benefit this very specific diagnosis or this subpopulation within this group. And so I think it may be less about, you know, something new and inventive and more about actually targeting certain yeah groups or um, techniques within that to see if there's even a more efficient way to get the same results without necessarily, you know, doing what has been done before. Yeah, you mentioned the two buckets there, I guess, uh, pre- mm-hmm. uh, prescription and then therapeutic. Correct. Are, are we seeing more patients and clients having to go to medications than therapeutic now? So I think we, we know that that people can decide for themselves on which form of mental health treatment they prefer. You know, there you could have your own reasons for why medications, you know, you don't want to be on medications. You could have your own reasons why you don't want to talk to somebody. We always want to just present both options to people and veterans and allow them to decide for themselves, of course, which they think would be more beneficial. Of course, we can offer and suggest what we think is the best treatment based upon what we know they're struggling with. And again, if they choose to say no, we can talk about that some more, maybe at another point in time. Um, But generally speaking, yes, more and more people are choosing to engage in both types of uh, of mental health treatment. If I, for example, if I'm having challenges, I don't think I'm in a position to pick which one of the therapies I ought to go. Probably Mm -hmm. that's why I'm coming to you guys to let you uh, at least lead me in a direction and a treatment plan that would work. So I'm curious how that's been working well with basically letting the patient determine the therapy. Yeah. Well, we we do want to remember, right, that everyone has autonomy and, you know, authority over their own lives. 
But I think you're hinting at that most people readily do accept the advice and guidance of their providers. Yeah. Um, and maybe they potentially start off just like, I just want to maybe talk about my problems and then quickly realize that, you know, medication management for their specific problem could be really helpful. And then if you just try it, right, you don't have to continue something that may or may not work. But the idea is that you're already in the system and most people take that approach of, well, let's see if it helps me and go from there. Because we don't have any official uh, major actions that are going on, um, is the VA coming up with new ways to to prepare men and women for future actions that they may have to go into? And when you mean future actions, do you mean in terms of being in the military or do you mean future actions of potential treatments into the future? No, I'm thinking of future deployments where they're going to have to go go into war for the first time again. They're going to have to be shot at for the first time. They're going to see Mm -hmm. all the things that uh, we may have seen then and basically just took us to it and said, here you are. You know, Mm -hmm. are are, are we coming up with – with new directions or new preparations or no new training that's the manual mm-hmm. the OTM the training manuals to better prepare our um our service personnel if they have to go into uh into actions again into deployment actions again gotcha yeah i i think that question is probably better handled by the DOD department of defense okay i would certainly like to ho- i would certainly like to think and hope that the military does everything in their power right to pr- prepare um you know active duty members for what they will go through um and then you know the VA right we're like the second half we're here to get better and better at you know supporting them as they transition to their civilian lives have you seen any difference in mental health needs by race and ethnicity Ethnicity are African Americans needing more assistance than maybe uh, white Americans, than Latino or Asian Americans that you have uh, experienced? So there are definitely, you know, stats and statistics on, um, you know, various categories of race, gender, ethnicity, right, as it pertains to suicide, suicide yeah. rates, mental health. And I think I would flip the question and say that it, there, there seems to be plenty of evidence that everybody needs to have access to help when they need it. So, yes, at any given moment, people might be doing well or doing OK, but we know that it only takes one crisis of you know, losing your job or getting in a fight with your spouse or you know, partner or something even more minor than that that can maybe be a uh, cascading effect to you know, a crisis of some kind. And so I think that is something that is universal um, and that, yeah, we want to be ready for all of those individuals. Yeah, it, it was a question more of who's coming in the door. Who's, yes. who's showing up there? Correct. Well, and I, I would maybe expand on that idea, too, is that, you know, generally speaking, right, there are more white veterans than any other race or class. And males are, you know, outnumber females. So pr- probably by the, the numbers alone, yes, white males are the, are the group of people who seek it the most just based on the total count um, of the population. The other thing that comes into play are cultural factors. Uh, Latinos may not want to show up. I know African-Americans, a lot of them will say, well, I'm I'm not going to go find any, uh, you know, they may be able to help me, maybe not, but I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy. Okay, Mm -hmm. so they may not show up at all. And, And so when you have those types of cultural factors that impact on health they should be getting, 
Yeah, and I would expand on that in two ways, is that, yes, there's always going to be some people, for whatever reason, who may be resistant to the idea of receiving help. Uh-huh. And there's two, I'll point out two very beneficial ways that the VA is attempting to address that issue. One is by the ever-increasing hiring and training of what we call peer support specialists. Those are people who are veterans themselves and more often than not have some sort of recovery story, um, you know, potentially, you know, substance use or mental health diagnosis that they have, you know, utilized the VA, returned to more of a more balanced life. And now they're ready to give back to other veterans. And the VA is beginning to utilize them both in the clinical setting, but also in a community setting. And so seeing how they can best spread their voice, share their experience, and use that story to, you know, to bring in new veterans to sort of help them along the way. And that broadly fits into the, the idea that suicide prevention is, um, is a national health effort, right? It's yeah. not just about what happens in, the, in a hospital or a clinic. It's also about what happens out in the community. And one way we do that is we try to reduce the stigma, not only about suicide, but uh-huh. also about mental health. Yeah. And the more we all talk about this together, the more normal it becomes. And hopefully that begins to impact people's choices, you know, receiving or going to treatment. You mentioned peer support specialist. How does one become a peer support specialist for those who may be interested that that piqued my curiosity uh, when you said it? Yep. So they, um, just like any position with the government and the VA, you can, you know, search USA jobs um, or any other place where, you know, government jobs might be posted. And I think that if you're um, even more interested in maybe speaking with someone, if you were happen, if you happen to be connected to the VA, you could just ask any person you're connected to say, I've heard of a peer support specialist. I would like to know more about this, more about how the program works, maybe even potentially becoming one myself. Um, and then I think potentially, you know, utilizing any other point of contact you might have. So I would be, you know, as an example, happy to put my name and my phone number or anywhere where people might see it as a reference point for someone interested in knowing about um, the peer support specialist. Are they going to need any prior experience or training in the health field to, uh, to do nope. the service? Are you going to train them? They will get yep full training. It's, a, it's an entire program unto yeah. itself. And of course, the one criteria is though that you have to be a veteran yourself, as that is the whole point of the the program. Many thanks to Ben Kramer, the Reach Vet Coordinator of the VA Medical Center in Aurora. Again, should you or someone you know be experiencing the warning signs we've mentioned, anger, rage, mood swings, increased alcohol or drug use, feelings of no reason to live among them, we do encourage, actually, we order you to call 988, then press the number 1. That's 988, then press the number 1. It is the Veterans Crisis and Suicide Hotline. Again, call 988, press the number 1. We'll gain additional insight on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Grab the shots you need for COVID and flu safety. And many thanks to you as well for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.